0: We're looking in the Book of Obadiah tonight. We're going to do, uh, we're doing a a series of overviews of books of the Bible, and we're trying to sort of skim the surface of the book to start with, and then we make some applicational points on how this book uh, can can be applied to our life. What what are the lessons from the various books in the Bible? What what are they? What are the general lessons? and uh, that we can glean from that. Now, you know as well as I do um, that it's absolutely impossible to cover a great amount of material uh, in the time frame in which we've allotted ourselves one service per book. We've done it with Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and all of them. So we're just able to, to really skim the surface and then make some applications that would help us in our life and maybe sort of give us a just what we call it, an overview of a book so that we might better understand it when we go back ourselves and read through the book. And many of you may read through your Bible every year, and maybe some of the notes that you take and jot down will, will help you with that. So here we are in the book of Obadiah. Now we don't get very far in this book. In fact, as soon as we step through the front door, we become aware of one thing, and that is simply that we don't know much about this guy. And God's not going to tell us much about this guy. He's going to lead us right into the crux of the book and and, uh, we're going to learn some things um, uh, from the message that he has given Obadiah. Now, the name Obadiah means worshiper of God. And so while we don't know a great deal about the man, we do know that he is a man who has a walk and a worship with his God. And, um, and so I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that, and, and uh, it's interesting how God uses people that are busy in the way. And so here, here is a man that, that, whose life has been defined by his worship of God, and we begin in verse number 1. Now stay with me, this is fascinating. Right, listen, it's the, shortest, it's the shortest book in the Old Testament, 21 verses, but my word... There's some things in these verses, and there is a trail uh, that we can trace backwards that will explain a great deal about the book itself. And so we're going to read it, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll we'll begin to make some connections there, okay? Verse 1, The vision of Obadiah, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise, ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen; thou art greatly despised. Now, can I just stop? What's the next two words? The pride. the pride. Okay. Now, if I could take you to Israel, and we could stand, we could stand on Israel's side and look out across the Dead Sea. On the other side, toward the south where Sodom is at, the, the south of the Dead Sea, is the Edomites, okay? And then the middle section of that land is the Moabites, and then, and then uh, to the left of that um, is the Ammonites, okay? And you can read those, you'll read those, you'll read those names throughout the Bible. Um, the Edomites, uh, the Edomites centered their lives to a great degree in a place called Petra. It's the, it's the rose red city half as old as time. That's what it's known as. The rose red city half as old as time. They made their homes in the rocks. How many of you ever seen Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? If you've had devotions, sometimes in front of your TV you've probably had it with that. Well that, that took place that was filmed in Petra. Okay, when he goes in, he rides, you know, they're riding the horse through the narrow place. I've ridden a camel through there. And he uh, rides his horse through there, and you come into the great place. Remember the, um, the, the, the big opening in the, in the Rose Red Rock? You go in that, and he climbs up in there, and there's saw blades flying at him and things like that. I had a guy in my church uh, back in Georgia who, when he found out I went there, he said to me, "He said, did, uh, did you see them saw blades? No, that's <laughs> that's Hollywood. When you walk in that building, it's actually it's actually an open, it's actually an open room. Uh, it was known as the treasury, and uh, there of, of these Edomite people, um, uh, and and so their pride was that nobody could get to them. There was one way in basically, and it was that narrow that narrow." Uh, opening through which um, uh, that the movie centered where Indiana Jones rides in. And so it was greatly defensed. They, they lived amongst the rocks and their pride was that we are here on our perch and no one can get to us. And so you, you, you pick this up as you begin reading this. And he says, um, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. You know, they... They were so haughty; they didn't realize how small they were. They they were, they thought themselves to be somebody. When in 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 reality, God's saying, "Look, among all the heathen, you're 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 puny, all right now." But the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. What did it do? It made them feel like they were bigger and more powerful than they really were. Okay, Uh, thou that dwellest, notice this: where in the clefts of the rock. So that's 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 the thought of Petra. That's the thought of where they found their their strength. Um, Whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou shalt exalt thyself as an eagle, uh, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down. I'll bring you down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, and uh, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? Notice that's an interesting phrase. How are the things of Esau? Now he's talking to the Edomites, okay, the people of Edom. And he says, How are the things of Esau searched out? And how are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border, the men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and have prevailed against thee. And they that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee, and there is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men of, out of Edom, and the understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed. Uh, to the end one of the mount of Esau may be cut off, uh, by slaughter. For thy vision, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee. Now, now watch that. Let's read that again. Okay, Focus in on what, what he's saying here. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob shall shame cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive, his forces and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them but thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity yea thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldst thou have cro- uh, have stood in the crossway to cut off those that did escape. Neither shouldst thou have delivered up those that did remain in the day of distress. Verse 15, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the house, uh, upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Boy, there's a verse of sowing and reaping, isn't it? Verse 16, For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. That's, that's a staggering statement right there. They're going to be as though they had not been they will be forever forgotten. And the book of Revelation says that God shall wipe their memory from all minds. So people that are lost without Christ will, that will ultimately be their their lot. They will be forever and forever and 10,000 forevers forgotten that they even existed. Verse 17, But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them, and devour them, and, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanite, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is uh, Sephiroth, shall possess the cities of the south, and Saviors shall come up upon Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord. So let's just pray just for a moment. Lord, we love you. Open our hearts. Teach us the things we have need of. And we'll be grateful to you for what you do. In the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Now when you hear people talk about, let me just throw this out for your consideration. When you hear people talk about the major prophets and the minor prophets, they're not talking about, they're not talking uh, about um, their position of importance. Okay? Well, he's a major prophet. He's really important. He's a minor prophet. He's, yeah, he's not, I mean, you know, he's good, but he's not so important as a major. That's not what it's talking about. When you hear major prophets and minor prophets, you're, you're dealing with basically the material and the time frame and the material in which is covered uh, by that prophet. And so Isaiah would be naturally considered to be a, a major prophet, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and in, in, in those. And yet Obadiah, with 21 verses, the shortest book, in all of the Old Testament would be called a minor prophet, okay? We don't know a great deal about him uh, at all. So when we get into the book, chapter 1, verse 1, we find this out immediately. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Now let me just lay a real quick foundation for you, because as we read in the book here, several times it talks about Esau, and it's called uh, Mount Esau. And, and so there's, there's obviously a connection between the two. Abraham married Sarah, and together they had a son named Isaac. Isaac, you remember, uh, married um, Rebekah who was the sister of Laban, and uh, we talked about him uh, on Sunday. And uh, they had twin sons. One was named Esau and the other was named Jacob. One of the interesting things uh, is that when Esau was born, the Bible says he was red all over and was a hairy man. And Jacob was a smooth man, okay? And so the, the, uh, the physical difference between the two there was somewhat pronounced. One day Esau, who was a hunter, uh, he was out hunting. And I don't know anybody that's ever hunted that doesn't understand the reality of how it can bring great hunger uh, after the hunt. You just, you, it's like, even fishing, there's it, just something about it that makes you hungry. And I've eaten things that probably in my normal mind would not be very delectable, but because I was hungry and, and was on a hunt, it seemed like the best meal ever. I remember one time sitting around with a bunch of guys, and we had a, we had a, a, a gray squirrel from the woods of the deep south stuck on a shebaab, and we were turning that thing around on a fire and we cooked it, and I want to tell you, when, when mealtime came, it was absolutely good. How many of you ever had smother fried squirrel and rice? Son, I want to tell you something, that's good stuff. I mean, I'm being honest, it's good stuff. There are restaurants in, in Georgia you can go to and order rabbit, and uh, I mean, you know, it's, so it's, it's good eating, but anyhow, and I understand civilized folks haven't gotten there yet, but, but that, that's fine. And and so he comes in, he comes in, he describes himself as being faint. I'm faint. I am literally, he thought, he wasn't starving, but he has what my grandkids have. He has what Nathan had when Nathan was young. He would come inside and say, Mom, I'm starving. And he had just eaten two hours earlier, you know. And uh, I remember how repulsed the girls were because he and John would, uh, at midnight, get gigantic. If you've ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro Bodine bowls of cereal and sit down and eat and then go to bed and sleep like a baby. If, if I did that now, I wouldn't sleep for two weeks. And, uh, but they would, just, they would just gorge themselves. And my, the, the grandkids will, will come over and they'll say, uh, Mimi, um, we got something to eat. We're starving. And they've just eaten at their house a little bit. But that's, that's one of the privileges of being grandparents. We feed them anyhow. Amen and the more sugar the better. And uh, so we do that. So he's emotionally distraught. This is a guy, this is a guy that's really feeling his hunger, and so he's going to border on exaggeration. And he's just simply saying, look, I'm about to faint. And so when he comes back, his brother Jacob is cooking uh, a stew over a fire. And uh, we're not sure, it doesn't seem that he's cooking it for family. So I, I don't know, you, you know, the purpose of it, maybe, maybe this was a part of the setup. Maybe he knew when his brother Esau came in that he was starving, so he thought, mm, I'll fill this place with some aroma. But he's got stew cooking out, what, what's called pottage, and he's got it, he's got it going, and, and uh, Esau comes in, he smells it, Jacob's a good cook, and uh, in fact this is the first food channel uh, that you find in the scripture. And so he walks in and boom, there it is. Sort of like somebody grilling out in the backyard, you know, and you can smell it. And so it appealed to his senses and, and to his passion. And he wanted a bowl of that pottage that he obviously had sampled before and knew it was going to be good. And he wanted it sooner rather than later. And so he, he talks with um, Jacob about it. Jacob knowing his brother was impulsive and, and spur of the moment decision maker driven by flesh and desires throws up a barter that he may not have even thought that Esau would buy into and he said, okay, I'll give you a, I'll give you a mess of pottage. I'll give you a, I'll give you a bowl of my stew but you're going to have to give me the family birthright. You're going to have to swap your birthright for this bowl of stew. I don't don't have time to go into a a lot of the detail, because there's a lot of of spiritual significance in in it, besides just the cultural and, and physical. But it's stunning. If you understand the birthright from the Jewish perspective, it's absolutely stunning in this setting how quickly and how glibly that Esau was willing to swap the birthright for a bowl of stew, basically, okay? I mean, it just didn't seem like there was much hesitancy in him at all. And it was, it was, a, it was something in the Jewish culture that was far more than just a meaningless title. First of all, it gave the oldest son who got the birthright, it gave the oldest son one half of every thing that was in his dad's estate. The rest of the boys, be there two or five, the rest of the boys, the other half, so he gets half, the other half is divided up up amongst the the, the other sons evenly. And so the family house was his, whatever the family business was, was his, and the sole responsibility of leadership, and the assuming of of the importance of the family name was his. My dad would say to me every now and then, son, what's your last name? And I would say to him, Herring. I remember as a young boy, when I was bartering with him to allow me to do things that other kids were doing, and he said to me, he said, "Um, how do you spell your last name? And I would say, H-E-R-R-I-N-G. And then he would say to me, with no humor in his voice whatsoever, uh, he would say to me, as long as your name is spelled H-E-R-R-I-N-G, don't ask me to do that because I'm not letting you. Now, I I didn't like that then, didn't appreciate that then, but I want to tell you something. After my friends that were allowed to do that wound up wrecked somewhere down a dead-end street in life and some of them in jail and many of them on drugs and a lot of them on booze, I was thankful later that my dad had the gumption to stand up to his own son and say, No, you're not doing that. You're You're not doing that. Now, listen to me carefully. He was lost and on his way to hell. But he he exerted better Christian principles, in discipline, and, and in leadership in my life than many Christian parents do today, and so so uh, that that that's what happened um, to to with the birth. Let, let me just put it this way: He was the sheriff. Okay, whoever whoever got the birthright, he was basically the sheriff of the family. Things would come to him, and he would decide disputes and grievances one against the other and, and oftentimes he would be the one or would at least appoint the one that would, that would be the revenger of blood and, and um, would go out and, and settle scores when that time was necessary. It was also spiritual in that the son that possessed the birthright became the spiritual leader of the family. Now listen carefully to this because we're going to come back to this in a moment. This is important. It was his leadership that would determine the spiritual direction of the family. It was his leadership. The guy that held the birthright, you're going to make the choices, you're going to determine the path, you're going to ponder the path and make the choices that will determine to a great degree um, the future of our family name and, 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 and those that followed behind. Uh, and, and so it was, it, was, it was his leadership that would determine The spiritual um, direction and destiny of the family unit. Now let me just stop and say this right here. Then we're going to get into some practical points. Let, Let me just say this right here. And that is that to every man there has been given a spiritual birthright. Now you can cut this in 17 different directions and you can trash it file 13 if you want to. That'd be fine. You can can deal with this however you want to deal with it. But if you believe the Bible, and the Bible is the Word of God, doesn't make the woman a wallflower, but it does make the man the leader. That's that's not a position of arrogance or a position of, of, uh, um, you know, it's not even as though it's a reward. It's a responsibility. You don't walk around with a swagger in your steps and oh, bless God. Let me tell you something about me, woman. I'm ahead of this home, okay? I did that two years ago, and, and uh, anyhow, uh, it's in my hospital. But but uh, no, I, th- that, that's not what this is all about. It's about the fact that I've been given a responsibility, and I have to I have to make some decisions with my family that I should earn their respect to where they're willing to follow the lead that God is leading me. And, and if you follow God and they follow you, they'll learn to respect the fact that you are following God and, and will be more willing to, to follow you. But we've been given the responsibility of bringing our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does that mean? That means as long as they're in my house, they're going to do this. Now listen carefully. When they leave your house, they do what they want to. Now, they're not going to escape what you taught them, but, but, but kids can go out and flip out if they want to um, uh, and, and because this isn't a mechanical thing but as for me and my house. While you're in my house, this is how we live, and this is what you do. And every man has the responsibility for to determine what goes on within the walls of his house because he has been handed a spiritual birthright. And you can see that the parallelism in that throughout the New Testament is, is, is amazing. The problem is that most men like Esau, most men like Esau have, they have, um, uh, they have pawned off that birthright for an easier life, for a messopotage, or to their wife, and so their wife becomes a spiritual leader. She brings the kids to church. She reads the Bible. They hear their mother pray. They never hear their dad pray. They've never heard their dad read the Bible. The only time he ever prays is maybe if they pray over the meal, and after he's already eaten half a hamburger and 17 fries, and then everybody's staring at him, and then he leads in prayer. The reality of the matter is we are to set the spiritual tone uh, in our families, and we're not to send them God's way. We're to lead them God's way, and that's just extraordinarily important. And the tragedy is that so oftentimes we're more concerned with the fleshly desires of our own nature than we are uh, the things of God. Esau, you know what Esau demonstrated? He demonstrated that he was not willing to assume that responsibility and that he cared more about the appetite of his own belly than he did the, the, uh, the things of God. He cared more about his stomach than he did his family. And that's a, that's a tragedy. So, now, now I want you to think about this. Just, just think about this for a moment. Listen carefully. His grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac had assumed a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that God had made with Abraham and it was repeated down the line with, with, with the patriarchs, okay? They had assumed that. From that lineage would come the Messiah, so Esau now, Esau now is in line to, to shoulder some of the responsibility of the lineage from which the Messiah would come. And yet he had, he had no concern for that. It, 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 along with the birthright was included the blessings and the promises that God had made in His covenant to these, these, uh, these men. And, and so he surrendered the privilege of carrying that line um, that would bring salvation and uh, blessing, not just to Israel, but to the entire world. Now, now, now listen carefully to me. He, he traded it for a Happy Meal. I mean, he traded it for a Happy Meal. And, and Judas got 30 pieces of silver, Esau gets a happy meal. Talk about two stupid people in the Bible, two dumb dumb barters in the Bible. That's an interesting study, by the way. But just just think about what what he swapped the privilege that God had given him, him for. But that's not all. The Bible said that he despised his birthright. Man, that is a powerful statement. Um, it, it means that he placed so little value on the spiritual that he literally had contempt on the, the covenant that God had made with his grandfather and wanted nothing to do with a life of faith. He despised it. He had contempt for it. Are you kidding me? You think that means anything to me? Now, it's going to change later. But when the decision was made, it was made because he despised. He had no... He had no um, awareness of what he was being given whatsoever. Now let me make some practical points and in that we're going we're to go back through some of this and then we, we have to tie Esau in with, with these Edomite people. So first of all let me make this point. Number one um, today's decisions will impact tomorrow's generations. I want to say that again. Today's decisions will impact tomorrow's generations. So when, when, he comes to, when he comes to Jacob, it says, I want a I bowl, bowl of pottage. Here's what the Bible says in chapter 25, verse 30. In accounting that, it says, And Esau said to Jacob, now the name Esau means hairy, okay? so Remember, he was born red and hairy. Right? So here he says, And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Now watch this, Therefore his name was called Edom. Later, later, when the Bible gives the descendants of Esau, it says this, now these are the generations of Esau, chapter 36, verse 1. Now these are the generations of Esau, and then the Bible says this, who is Edom? Now these are the generations of Esau. And by the way, Esau, he's Edom. What does the word Edom mean? It means red. So it's, it's sort of funny when you read there, and, and as, I, as I read that verse of Scripture uh, I, I thought about that and I remember verse 25 of Genesis 25 and the first, talking about the birth, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment and they called his name Esau. So, so here's a guy named Esau who was red when he was born. He wants a mess of pottage who happens to be red. It's a red pottage, lentil pottage. And, and so he craves that and when he makes that barter, God says, you know who you are? You're red. You you were Esau, but I'm going to c- call you Red. And, and I I mull that over in my mind. And, and this is my speculation on it because the Bible doesn't say. But but I believe what God was saying to him basically is this: That's who you are. When you entered this world, you were red. You, you just you were just you're just. You're just born. You, you, that's how you came into the world. you just red. And you know what? All these years later, you're a grown man. And you know what you still are? You're just red. Just like you were when you were an infant. I, I get the feeling that what God, what God is saying here to him is, is you were red then and you're red now and that's all you're ever going to be. You're not going to change, Esau, because, because as you came into the world crying and wanting your own way, now as a grown man, that's exactly who you are. You're just now like you were then, and it's it's branded you with this name. You're just you're just like you were when you were a kid. You're red. Now let's contrast that. Okay, let me tell you why I think that. All right, let's contrast that. In uh, uh, Jacob came to know the Lord. You remember his confrontation with God. And Jacob's life is an amazing, we know, dysfunctional collision with his own deceptive nature, and, and we talked about some of that Sunday. But he came to know the Lord. He wrestled with God, and God touched him in the hollow of his thigh. And in, 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 in um, chapter 32, Jacob also receives a name, Okay, another name. So, so here's Esau. God said, you know what? You, you're red. I'm, you're going to be called red. You're the father of of the Edomite people, you're red. You're the same as you were, not Jacob. Genesis chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-eight, and he said, "Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, which means prince. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevail." So the change, the change in uh, Esau's name to Edom, meant that there was no change on the inside. The change in Jacob's name means that he would never walk the same from that moment. He halted upon his thigh. He was a different man. He had come in confrontation with the angel of God, and and he would never be the same as he was before. And so there was a change in both of them. Now, let's let's go back to Obadiah. Stay with me. When Obadiah opens up, chapter 1 verse 1, and it talks about, or chapter 1, it is chapter 1, Obadiah one seven. Uh, now, when 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 the first verse comes along, and and we talk about Edom, uh, Esau's long been dead. He's long been dead, and 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 yet uh, the the prophecy comes against the Edomite people. Listen, but like the ancient land that surrounds them, so much is unchanged over their cultures. Habits, it's so unchanged, like, unlike any other place in the world, I think. And, and here are now, by the way, 917 years after Esau took the best of pottage, boom, Obadiah's prophesying, and the reality of the matter is they haven't learned a blooming thing. They haven't learned anything. It's still pride. It's still, listen, they're still despising the things of God. They still don't, they, ah, ah, birthright, I don't care. God's people, I don't care. Their attitude is still the same flippant, the same flippant attitude that that Esau's was. And so, so let's, I want to jump back with me. Verse, let's go, let's go back to verse number 10, because here's the deal. When Israel was led captive, the Edomite people were there, and rather than helping their brother, remember that phrase, brother, why? Jacob and Esau. That's why Brothers. Rather than helping people that are your brothers in the flesh, they not only did nothing, but they actually interfered. All right, so let's let's read it again. Verse 10, look at me. Uh, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall come upon thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners um, entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, thou wast as one of them. You were just like them. Think of what God is saying. This is blood. This is blood. And God said, are you kidding me? You didn't just stand there and watched. You participated. Verse 12, Thou shouldest have looked... uh, not have looked on thy brother in the day when he became a stranger. And on down it says, uh, Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in his day of distress, the end of verse 13, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Verse 14, Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those that did escape, neither shouldest thou have delivered them up that did remain in the day of distress. He said, shame. God said, there will be shame on you because this is what you did to your brother. You laughed and you rejoiced and you participated and you even, you even um, forbid those that were trying to escape. You captured them and turned them in. You're no different than the people that led them away. You're just like them. And so God in the book of Obadiah is taking a man whose name means worshiper of God And he's pronouncing judgment upon the people of Edom. And so what what happened? The ripple effects have gone down now for generations. The descendants of Esau that live in Mount Esau, we could call them the Esauites, but the Edomites, these people are still uh, despising the things of God and the ripple effects have carried down for 917 years they've carried down because one man said, I don't give a rip about my birthright. Give me pottage. When I preach to teen camps, one of the things that I emphasize is to them, and I warn them that there is life after teenage years. Because so many teenagers live like the fact, okay, here, I got it, man. I'm, look, I'm only going to be a teenager once. That's right. That's exactly right. So you better be very careful during that once because you don't get a redo. You can't call a mulligan. Well, I'm 22. I really messed up when I was a teenager. What do I do? Well, you can't get it. No, no, there's no mulligan. So there's life after teenage years. And you, you, you have to think about that. And, and sometimes sometimes I'll, I'll counsel with them privately and, and their idea is sort of like this. Well, it's my life. It's my life. These are my decisions. It's my life to, to live. Yeah. But it's never that simple and neat. It never is. It's never that simple and neat. It's my life. I'll make my decisions. I'll do what I want to do. And that'll be that. Well, that's great. But it never turns out that way. It's messy. It's absolutely messy in the long run. And sin and rebellion are always infectious. And and what we do today, what we decide today, will impact not just our future, but the future of those that follow us, you know. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to my grandkids. I don't know what all their choices will be. But I thank God on that afternoon at Johnson High School on Shell Road in Savannah, Georgia, when some friends of mine came over and gathered around the car and begged me to go out one night, just one night, you never go, you've never been, give me one, just one night. If you don't like what we do, we'll never ask you again. Just go with us one night their drunken parties and smoking dope and everything else. And I thank God for the decision that I made then because who knows where I would be right now and who knows what my grandkids would have. Uh, You know, who knows the trajectory of my life and how it would have changed. Now they're going to have to make their own choices. But they're going to know one thing by God's good grace and that is that they had a papa who was a Baptist preacher and who tried to do what's right and took the right stands and that preached to them uh, uh, every week and and they're going to remember that. Decisions matter. It's not, look, that day, all I thought about was I ain't doing this. I'm not going to do that. I knew what it would do to my mom if I had a motivating factor because I wasn't living for God then to a great degree, but I knew what it would do to my mom. And I love my mom so much, I said no. and I, All I knew that day, there was just a small, there was just a small um, impact that that decision was gonna make. It was gonna keep me away from the party. It was gonna keep me from tasting alcohol for the first time in my life. It was gonna keep me from, from getting messed up somewhere and, and, and getting in trouble. And, and it would save my mother a great deal of heartache and my dad a great deal of disappointment. But where I stand right now and I look back, Boy, there's a lot of lives that would have impacted. Uh, and I'm thankful. I'm just, I, I, I'm thankful for that. He, the, the problem with Esau is that he, he could not see beyond the hand in front of his face. He lived in the now and could not, could not see, could not see beyond that. All right, now let me give you, a, let me give you a second point, and that is this. Listen carefully. We should never sacrifice the immediate on the altar, let me do that again, we should never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. I was a teenage boy, I don't even remember who said it, but a guy got up in some meeting somewhere where I was at, and and we, we were at youth meetings, and he made this statement, he said, do not sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. I wrote it down. I'm not sure I fully grasped at that moment what he was saying. But as I meditated upon it, and he developed the thought, it rang true to me. There are some things that are permanent that you can sacrifice in the now. And, and, and Esau, now we're tying Esau in, because th- these, these are his descendants, and this is called, what, three times in, in the book, in the 21 verses, it's called the mount, of Esau, or Mount Esau. So they're interwoven. and So you cannot divorce what happens in Obadiah with the earlier story of Esau. And Esau was giving up his tomorrows for something that he wanted to enjoy today. That's, by the way, that's as old as the garden. Isn't it? I mean, hey, Eve, take a bite of this. Okay? Take a bite of this. And so Eve did. And can you imagine, listen, Can you imagine how long it took her to chew that that bite? You know, it's always an apple. It's actually a fruit of the vine. I think it was probably a giant grape. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it was she ate, she ate it. She swallowed it. And before she had time to digest it, her eyes were opened. So the, the reality of them, I mean, he, think, 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 about, think about Esau, he's governed by his flesh. He, he couldn't wait, he, he couldn't wait, he, he was, how long do you think it took him to eat a, a, a bowl of pottage? You ever timed yourself? I want you to do an experiment tonight and come back with me Sunday and report. How long it took you? I'm a fast eater so it wouldn't have taken me long. He's eating away son, he's, he's, he's famished so he's driven. By his hunger. And all of a sudden, he's wolfing this stuff down. Boom, boom. Spoon after spoon after spoon after spoon after spoon. And all of a sudden, his. Of course, they ate with their fingers then, so they didn't have. So I'm just Americanizing the scripture, so stay with me. And uh, he's, he's scraping that stuff. Listen, and by the end of it, his fingertips are scraping the bottom of that bowl. The pottage was gone, but so was his birthright. Listen carefully to me. He got what he wanted, but he lost what he already had. I wish I could stand on top of the gym on the outside and have everybody gather around and scream with a megaphone, he got what he wanted, but he lost what he already had. That's a lesson we better sink our teeth into because it's it's so powerful. Esau represents all people who have unbridled flesh and desires and no, no way to control them. And by the way, your flesh will always lead you down a path that leads to regret and loss. Flesh never adds to us. Well, Pastor, I've made some mistakes in my past. What do I do? Forget your past and start making the better decisions now. Just look. There's not a single one of us. There's nobody in this room that at some point or another hasn't got what we wanted and lost what we already had. We've okay? we've all been through that to whatever degree. To whatever degree, we've all been there a little bit, but. So what do you do with your past? You forget it. You, you live in the now to the degree that you you say, okay, I I learn, I've learned. Don't be like Esau, red, red, red. You've never changed. You never will change. Don't 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 be like that. Allow God to teach you. Allow God to teach you some things. And by the way, can I just say this? When, 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 when we lived in, when we were first married, we lived in a little town in Georgia called Jessup, and they had a county auction. Okay, At a county auction. I mean, it was just old line. I'm just talking what exactly what you think of an old line auction. I don't know. I don't know if you knew, but there, there were days when the oatmeal companies put um, what was the name of the glass, uh, um, Depression glass back in the Depression. They would put. They would put glass cups in oatmeal. And so you would get that cup out because it was the depression. You buy the oatmeal and you get a glass, okay? So I remember a guy was selling. I went to the auction, not in planning on buying anything, but he had a whole set of like, I don't know, 12 or so depression glasses that he was auctioning. And all of a sudden, my my hand's going up, you know, my hand's going up. And I bought those depression glasses for my wife. She doesn't have them today. I'm sorry to say that. I don't know why it wasn't appreciated, but maybe when we got out of our depression. I, know. I remember one time, Dixie, you remember this. We went to an auction, and the kids are there. You know what I did? at the au- I, I wasn't going to buy anything, but you know what I bought? I bought a one-eyed pony <laughs> for $25. Now, here's the amazing thing about my business ventures. I sold it later and doubled my money. After it had thrown Jason off uh, 30 feet in the air, whatever. I mean, I, I wound up selling. Her name was Betsy, and uh, it was great. We had her for a while. The kids rode her, and then finally, finally we sold her, and I made double my money on it. Uh, and this is a true story. The reason I made money on it was because the auctioneer had one eye. It's a two-story. And he said, look, one headlight out doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt me. It won't hurt. That. So And so he helped me out by promoting my pony that I would sell. So we doubled our, double our money. Can, let me just, here's, here's what I'm saying. Look at me. If you don't want to buy anything, best thing is to not go to the auction. <laughs> just don't go to the auction. If you're not planning on bidding, don't go to the auction. Okay. Um, because if you do, the temptation uh, will be there that you'll, Satan will bring something in front of you. Young people look at me, stay away, stay away. Listen to me. All you teenagers, listen to me. Stay away from places you shouldn't be. I got a call from a pastor last night, a young pastor, and he said, I want to ask you some questions. So he talked with me and we were talking about doctrinal things and, uh, and, 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 and he, he asked me some advice and I gave him some advice about staying away from places that aren't squared up with the Bible. Don't, d- Why do you try to gleam? I, I don't need to lay a crooked stick down by a straight stick to know that the straight stick is straight. So I'm not going to spend my life chasing crooked sticks. The reality of the matter is I, I don't have to be exposed to all the junk and the garbage and the doctrinal garbage that goes on all over the place. I don't have to do that. And so I I, I just said to him, look, stay away from there and there's no temptation for you to buy into some of the junk that they're producing. Number three, some things once lost can never be regained. Some things once lost can never be regained. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Would you do that? Hebrews chapter 12. Let me show you something else that is said about this man Esau, who is the father of the Edomite people, that we're reading about in Obadiah. Okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 16. Lest there be any, what? Wow. That's a big word. Or profane person, As Esau, now wait a minute, hold it, wait, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, it, Break. put the brakes on, listen, whoa, whoa, fornication, profanity, wait a minute, dude, this guy, all he did was sell his birthright, yeah, but look where it led him, once you give into the flesh, the tendency is it's going to lead you down a path that you are going to find a hard time turning around from, and so we see where it leads you, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now look at me and listen. I'm going to make you a promise. You can always find forgiveness... (laughs) You can always find mercy, and you can always find grace. But we are dishonest. We are dishonest if we don't tell the truth that there are some things that can't be retrieved once they're lost. That's a fake grace. That's a false grace. That I can can do anything I'm wrong to find. Yeah, you can find grace. But you won't find what you lost. There are some things once you lose them, you can't get them back. I mean, you, you, you just can't get it back. And um, I think we need to be honest with that, with ourselves and with, with others. And sometimes I think we wait until it's too late to realize the value of those things that are that are most important, uh, that are most important uh, to us. Esau's legacy is this: he he he. he left behind his birthright for one morsel of meat. And everything he did was impacted by that decision to the, to the extent that down later he's called a fornicator. So when you follow the flesh, the flesh is going to lead you a long way. Last point, and I close quickly, and that is the pleasures of sin last but for a season. His empty stomach was now filled But soon the stew was gone. The pottage was gone. The bowl was empty. And he never got his birthright back. The first mouthful. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that first mouthful? Can you imagine what it was like? Listen, he's hungry. He's fainting. He's famished. And he digs in. And he brings that first handful to his mouth. And he eats it. Can you imagine the refreshing feeling of that first bite? And contrast that, if you will, with the tears later when he wished he had never taken it. And now he's staring at the bottom of an empty bowl, perhaps catching the reflection of a man who despised the things of God. Let me say this. I remember this years ago as a teenager. I was sitting in a meeting and somebody said this. And it etched itself in my mind. I've never forgot it. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you intend to stay. And it will make you pay more than you ever dreamed you'd pay. That's just the nature of sin. It always exacts from us far more than we ever, ever thought it would. Obadiah, what a a book. And when you finish the book, you read it and catch it in its entirety. What a tragic loss for the Edomite people who followed in the footsteps of their, of their father from many years ago. Lord, bless us and help us. I pray that we would realize, Lord, there's some things, there's some things if we sacrifice them, we'll never get them back. We'll find grace and forgiveness in a God who is a Father and we thank you so much for that. But let us be aware and beware of the fact that there are some things that can't be replaced. Help us Lord I pray. Bless us as we get ready for Sunday. Bless the remainder of the week and bless the teenagers garage sale as it goes on Friday and Saturday and help it to be a success as they need it to be and And we pray in advance for summer camp as it comes up that you'd bless there and have your way and will. And God, will give you the glory and the praise for all of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.